Thank you, Brother Holmes, and praise the Lord, everyone. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. Anybody having church around here? We've just had the Holy Ghost come down and kiss this place. And we was right in the middle of the big smack. If you haven't got what you need already in the service, you haven't tried real hard. Because Holy Ghost is here. Isn't it amazing how many problems can be solved in one worship service? I don't know what you need, but baby, you're in the right house tonight. We're not done having church here yet either. Anybody ready for some preaching? Clap your hands unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men whereby you be saved. That's what everybody's Bible says. And Acts chapter 4, it's going to get better. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name. What's the name? There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say you've gone to seed on that. Mm -hmm. I've done my best to start every sermon for the last 49 years with Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. If you don't go to seed on something, you never will have a crop. And if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, your sins are still on your back. You need to be buried in baptism by immersion in the only name that washes away sin, that wonderful name of Jesus. That's all the announcements. You may be seated. I'm glad to be here. I did not agree to preach. When I was asked to preach, I said, get somebody else. Your people are tired of hearing me preach. And they didn't respond favorably. And they, I said, pray about it. They said, there's no point in praying about it. You're preaching. So I'm here. Next year, they will pray about it. I'll just tell you that right now. I uh, want to say how much I appreciate all the kindnesses of the First Pentecostal Church, Bishop Holmes and the Nathan Holmes for their kindnesses toward all the ministry that are here, all the speakers, the lovely accommodations, the basket of, of goodies. I got enough there to open me a small mini market in the lobby right there at the motel. I really appreciated that little envelope with $100 bills in it. That It kind of goes with seniority. The longer you preach at a place, the nicer your baskets are. And I, I want to tell you how much I enjoyed the preaching last night of the younger ministers. Thank you, Jesus. 
We didn't get to hear very much from them, but I will tell you this much. It ought to give Pentecost a comfortable feeling to know that we have young men stepping on the horizon that still believe this old-time apostolic message. I thank you, brother. Brother King made your whole trip worthwhile today by what he said in the house this morning. What a blessing and what a gift of God he is to Pentecost. Thank you, Brother King, for what you said. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on, that's all right. I want to... The only thing that he seemed to have a problem with was being on the same page with another bald-headed man. I didn't have a brochure in front of me, so I wasn't sure who he was talking about. My uh, daughter, Marisa, uh, has a son named Garrison, who when he was five, got a scissors and cut all of his hair off without the aid or the benefit of a mirror. And he cut his hair so close that there were scissor marks on his scalp. And he was so proud of his achievement, he walked into the room where my daughter was. He said, look, Mommy, I, I got a haircut. And Marisa said, oh, Garrison, look at you. He said, what? She picked him up where he could see in the mirror over the mantle of the fireplace. He said, oh, Mama. I look like a five-year-old pawpaw. <laughs> well, I looked over here to see if the man who stole Huck Hogan's belt buckle was here, but I don't see him here tonight. So all I'll know to do is say, pray, saints. But I have... Wonderful news, the Yellow Jackets are in the house. Would you stand, girls? That's what I'm talking about right there. Oh, yeah. We can have church now. It's Sunday night camp meeting, and we got Yellow Jackets. Let's have some church. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Evidently, daylight 30 this morning, sugar booger headed our van down from Michigan, drove 800 and some odd miles to be in service. Ooh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, with me tonight. And she is, should be here any time. So when you see the queen of my heart walk in, I'll try not to stop preaching and do something about it, all right? I'll just try to keep preaching. I want to read chapter 6 from the book of Ephesians, starting with verse number 11. This may be your last time to stand for several hours. Now, we shouted, and we cried, and we prayed, and we had church. What an awesome feeling that was. But... It's possible for us spiritually to be a basket case like we saw cardboard signs a while ago. Some even backslid. And I'm not here to trash you about that. My own daddy was a backslider. But you can recover yourself. 
after pastoring for 30 years, I know a little bit about people's struggles in living for God. And let me tell you, it's no accident if you've made it 10 years. Anybody made it 10 years living for God? Anybody made it 20 years living for God? Anybody been living for God for 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My mother's had the Holy Ghost 79 years. And you can have it for 79 years too if you live long enough. That's some rich stuff right there. But I want to show you how to keep the Holy Ghost. There's no point in you getting it if you're not going to hang on to it. And I don't want to come back here in future years and not see some of your faces. As ugly as they may be, I still want to see them. We're too close to the coming of the Lord to be messing around now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the willies of the devil or the wiles, either one. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I know of some people who have, I know of a church, I should say, and I don't care to tell you what state it is, but they have AK-47s and other automatic weapons inside the church house and signs warning the government not to come on the property. I will just tell you, we can't fight our war with machine guns. We fight our battle on our knees. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, or because of all this, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, comma, to stand, period. Stand, therefore, comma, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. And the next three verses just continue in the same vein, maybe even a more varicose vein. What we are told here is when you've done all, having done all, just basically it looks like it says keep on standing. I may be taking this out of context and for those of you who want to have an issue with that, we'll just deal with it tonight. Because I'm looking at it, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, the contingency plan. Look at your neighbor and say, Lord, I hope he does good tonight. You may be seated. Stopped by the post office the other day and it had a sign on the wall. I didn't see my picture, so I started looking everywhere. It said, hope for the best, plan for the worst. I 
know that our world was changed in uh, 9-11. And uh, my, I will we'll tell you this much, my flying definitely has changed. I don't want to tell you what airport because I don't wish to bring Ontario, California into the story, but I uh, got at the counter, they called security up and they had them check me and my wife. They took special gloves with cloths and they wiped the lapels of my coat down, my hands, they took my shoes, they worked them over. They went through every piece of luggage that we had. It took an extra 20 minutes just for that. That was the first security check we went through. I went through seven more before I got on the plane. They pulled me out of the line as I am getting on the plane. And finally, they, they became apologetic. They said, I'm sorry, sir, but you fit every criteria for a terrorist. I will just say that my, the way we fly has even changed since 9-11. Having lived so close to Chicago many years, I remember reading in the newspaper about, uh, in particular, it was the Sears Tower they were worried about, big, tall building, one of the biggest buildings in the world left after 9-11. And so the mayor declared that it would be important for there to be a contingency plan for every skyscraper it had to be posted in a public place where everyone who came into the building could see where all the escape routes were, what to do if this disaster happens, if this problem, if there's gas, if there's anthrax, if there's whatever, if there's on fire, this is how you get out of the building. This is what you do. When my oldest son, Anthony, was just in kindergarten, he came home all pumped one day and he said, Daddy, a fireman come to the school today. I said, he did. I said, well, what did he say? He said, if we catch on fire, we're supposed to stop and drop and... Y'all went to kindergarten too, didn't you? <laughs> Why do they teach kids that? Because they want them to know what to do before the problem happens. It's one thing to ask what you do after it's happened, but it's another thing to know what you do before it happens. I'll just tell you, I want you to look at this old bald-headed guy. I know how I'm going to die. I don't know what I'm going to die from. I don't know where. I don't know when. But I know how. I don't know what from, but I know how. I know how I'm going to die in here. I'm going to die in love with this Acts 2.38 message. I'm going to die preaching holiness or hell. I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to die preaching separation from the world. I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to die staying as far away as I can from Hollywood. I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to die in love with Marcia Ballestero. I'm going to die being faithful to my wife. I know how I'm going to die. I'm going to die at peace with my fellow brothers. I'm not going to die with some big war going on. And once you decide how you're going to die, it's just a straight shot from where you are to where you got to go. Am I making sense to anybody in the house here tonight? 
Anthony came home from school a number of years later. I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. Much more mature now, and he had a piece of paper in his hand. He said, Daddy, fireman came to class today, and he said that we had to have a contingency plan at our house. I said, what? He said, a contingency plan. I said, for what? Well, he said, if the house catches on fire, we need to know where we're supposed, how to get out of the house and where we're supposed to meet. Well, now this is from a kid whose bedroom is in the basement. And there is one stairways going up. And if that catches on fire, all he has is a casement window to get out. And we need to put a rope ladder so he can climb up to get out. Then we had to designate a place with us to meet when we got outside. So everybody knew this is how you get out if we have a fire. If the furnace goes, blows up, this is how you get out. If there's a fire in the basement, this is how you get out. If there's a fire upstairs, this is what you do. And so everybody had to be at peace with this is what we do if we have a problem in our house. For many years, I was in ham radio or amateur radio, and I uh, was a member of what's called RACES, which is a, uh, an emergency uh, program that amateur radio operators are in that coordinates all the communication from the police department, the fire department, the airport, and hospitals if there is a disaster. We had to take classes and be able to describe and, and uh, recognize rotation in clouds and uh, be able to describe what kind of cloud was coming our way, what kind of storm conditions and what to do if you have this and if you have a uh, when to call hazmat and all these other kind of things. They were trying to teach us what to do if there was a problem. What I want to preach to you tonight is what to do when you have a spiritual problem. You're looking at a boy who does not have a plan B. All I have is a plan A. I plan to be saved. I plan to do my best to make heaven my home. And with all the things folks may not like about you or me, they're going to have to agree to one thing. We're still here. We're still doing our best to make heaven our home. I plan to reach the goal. That's why I started. I intend to reach the goal. That's why I tried. Can I get a witness from somebody? Some years ago, that's all the pocket digging I'm going to do for right now. There were some books that came out. Called the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Let me just read a couple from this one right here. Let me just tell you what some of the uh, table of contents says. How to control a runaway camel. How to stop a runaway passenger train. How to survive a riot. I don't know what church he was talking about in that one. How to survive a hostage situation. How to foil a scam artist. Here's one that ministered to me. How to foil a UFO abduction. 
How to lose someone who is following you. How to escape when tied up. How to escape from the trunk of a car. How to survive in a plummeting elevator. Jump just before it hits the bottom. (laughs) How to navigate a minefield. That's what I'm doing here tonight. How to survive a trip over a waterfall. How to find water at a deserted island. How to deal with a tarantula. How to cross a piranha-infested river. Very carefully. How to treat a severed limb. How to break down a door. How to break into a car. How to hotwire a car. Don't none of you young guys come up, ask me after church. You can't have the book. I won't even let you look at it. How to perform a fast 180 degree turn with your car. How to ram a car. If you need instructions on how to hit somebody... You're lame. How to fend off a shark. How to escape from a bear. How to escape from a mountain lion. How, this is for you, Brother Cox. How to wrestle free from an alligator. Why would you be wrestling with an alligator to start with? How to escape from killer bees. Run, Forrest, run. How to deal with a charging bull. How to take a punch. How to jump from a bridge or cliff into a river. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. Boy, there's a nice building. I wonder if they got a dumpster anywhere near here. I think I'd like to jump from that. How to maneuver on top of a moving train and get inside. Well, Zeke, if you're starting out on top of the train, you got something backwards. You're doing it wrong. How to jump from a moving car. Why? How to leap. How to leap from a motorcycle to a car. You're crazy. How to perform a tracheotomy. Okay, hold still, still, Larry. This is going to hurt. How to identify a bomb. How to deliver a baby in a taxi cab. Well, what if you're in a minivan? I don't know. How to land a plane. Any idiot can get it off the ground. Getting it back down is the tricky part. How to survive if your parachute fails to open. He says, I'm a survival, evasion, resistance, escape instructor. I have developed, written, attended, and taught courses around the world to more than 100,000 students, civilians, naval aviators, and elite Navy SEAL teams. I have more than 30 years of survival training experience. From the Arctic circles to the Canadian wilderness, from the jungles of the Philippines to the Australian desert. Let's just say I've learned a few things about survival over the years. 
To survive means to outlive, to remain alive or in existence, to live on, to continue to exist or live after. After all, that's what it's really all about, about continuing to exist no matter how dire the circumstances. He says then towards the end, we all make mistakes, overcoming them is survival as well. You must have a survival plan. And his last statement is learn to return. Now, if the world can make money selling stuff like this to idiots like me, who are maybe even interested in what do you do if you have a problem, then surely Pentecostals need to recognize that there's no such thing as a problem-free life. And just because you got the Holy Ghost is no guarantee that it's going to be smooth sailing every day. You're not here because it's been grease sliding for all of us. Some through the fire, some through the flood. But we're still here. We're still under the blood. Thank you, Jesus. So here, ladies and gentlemen, is an apostolic survival plan. What are you going to do? Here's our contingency plan. Number one, I'm going to keep on trusting him. Job said in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my ways before him. What are you going to do, Job? I'm going to keep on doing what I've always been doing. I'm going to keep on coming to church. I'm going to keep on praising his name. I'm keep on being faithful in the house of God. What are you going to do when you lose your job? I'm going to trust him. What are you going to do when the funds get low? I'm going to trust him. What are you going to do when you get bad news from the doctor? What do you do when your babies get sick? What do you do when there's scary news on the radio? I'm going to keep on trusting in him. What do you do when you worry about foreclosure? I'm going to keep on trusting him. What do you do when life... You think life is unfair or you get overwhelmed with a trial. What do you do when your spouse leaves you? What do you do when your spouse is unfair, unfaithful to you? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what you need to do. Regardless of whatever happens in your life, God, I'm going to keep on maintaining my ways before you. I'm going to keep on trusting you. You know, I, I, have, I have seen people, oh, if you're not careful, you can get hurt at God. And you can get so, you can get so messed up in here because of something that happened. And oh, how dare you get hurt at God. I, some of you here know about the fact that God gave my wife and I a house. We have never had a house. All my life I've lived in a parsonage. And this last August, uh, we were able to get a house for uh, 13500 bid for it online. It had been foreclosed on. Somebody lost. They still owed 80000 and they lost it. And I, I'm, I'm saddened for their loss, but I'm grateful for, for the fact that we have a house, our first house. And this month we'll be married 44 years. 
and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to get any, you know, sob story thing going, God has, has blessed me beyond what I should have been blessed. But in our limited viewpoint, all we could see was that God gave us a blessing. But my wife, born and raised, not born, but raised in Albion, Michigan, where her daddy used to pastor, there was a, a family there that used to be Amers. And they had been in a, uh, on the mission field. They came home. They were loved. They, they were asked to stay, but they didn't. Anyway, their second son died, about two or three years old. And these people got hurt in here and they just backed away from church and they backed away from God. My wife knew that they'd been out of church now for about a dozen years. And she, when she would go to town to visit her kinfolk, her sister there and visit before we even had the house, she would just drive by their house and she would just kind of park out in front and pray from God. Don't let these folks go to hell. Talk to them, whatever you have to do, God. These are good people. Oh, Jesus, I hate what the devil has done to them. And she told the girl's mother in church, I'm praying for him. She said, be sure and tell your daughter I'm praying for her. I, I think about her all the time. Well, we went out to a restaurant and my wife and I had a little anniversary. And so the waiter was a backslider. This was in another town. And my wife said to him, you need to get back in church, son. We've been missing you. And he cried right there while he was waiting on our table there at Schuler's in Marshall, Michigan. And... and you just don't normally see people crying in Schuler's. It's a very upscale, nice restaurant. Anyway, we got the house. And I didn't know that my wife would go upstairs to pray. And she would look out the back window. And one block away, she could see the backsliders homes. And she would hold her hands out towards the house and say, God, bring them back. Whatever you have to do, get them back in church. Their boy was now, eldest boy was 18 years old, had an incurable disease. and There was gross on his colon. It looked like it was death. He was like 85 pounds and six foot two. They called my wife. The girl did said, I know you've been praying for Sister Ballester, but pray for my boy. He's dying. I'm taking him to the hospital right now. I want you to know that I went to church there in town about two months ago that mom and dad had prayed through. They had come back to church. That guy from the, from the restaurant, he had been back. Two families are now in church all because my wife got the ball rolling praying for him. I preached there about a month ago at my brother-in-law's church and that 18-year-old come down and got the Holy Ghost while I was preaching. He came back from the doctor and the doctor said, I don't understand it, but the reports are wonderful. It looks like it's going to be 100% healing for you. I thought God was giving us a house, but God just used our house to get backsliders back in church. And I don't care how bad you get hurt, what comes down on you. I don't wish ill on you. But if it does come, you make up your mind you're not going to solve one problem staying home. You bring yourself to the house of God. Keep on trusting him. Here's where your prayers get answers. Here's where you get help and strength. Can I get a witness? Let me tell you, number two, I'm going to keep on worshiping. 
Whatever happens, I'm going to keep on having church. You want, you want your spiritual womb to dry up? Then you just do what Michael did in the Old Testament. You have a problem with worship. And the day this church has a problem with worship is the day no more, no more folks are going to get the Holy Ghost down here. And if you've got a problem with worship in your church, I'm glad you're here. Because you're going to find out how apostolics have church. We don't believe in having quiet time around here. You don't let your circumstances regulate your praise and worship to God. Well, Lord, I praise you, but I don't feel good. I, I, let me just tell you, there'll be days you don't feel like praising him. There's days you don't feel good, but you get up and go to work. And days you don't feel good, you get up and you do the housework. And days you don't feel good, you get up and go to school. Don't be pulling that mess on God. You praise him not because you feel good. You praise him because he's worthy of your praise. Can I get a witness? I want to tell everybody in the house, you can worship your way out of your problem. I was asked to, uh, I, I was asked to MC a church anniversary in Indianapolis one time. And a little piece of paper they gave me for one of the singers said, Rick George. And so I announced the Rick George trio. Brother George, I've known him for a number of years. He came to the pulpit and he said, I was evangelizing in Florida. He told how many years ago it was. And he said, I got a virus, and that virus is fatal if it's not caught within 72 hours. And by the time they were able to diagnose it, I'd already had it 48 hours, and I was in a coma. My trailer or fifth wheel was parked beside a church where I was preaching revival. I have two teenagers. And he said, I was paralyzed by this time and could not even walk. And for many weeks, I was in the hospital. My bill just went way over the $100,000 mark in no time. I had no insurance. And he said, I was at the mercies of whoever sent me money to uh, keep on existing and to eat or whatever. And he said, I'd pray for my healing. I'd say, God, why am I doing this? Why is this happening to me? And he said, a year rocked on and I still couldn't preach. I'm in a wheelchair. They're pushing me to church. Two years and I'm still sitting there. So one night I told my son, son, take me to church early tonight. And push, when he got into church, he said, push me up to the altar. He said, now get me out of this wheelchair and lay me face down on that altar. He did. He said, okay, son, uh, push the wheelchair to the back of the church and go get your mama when it's time to come to church. Brother George said, I laid face down on that altar and I said, God, I haven't come tonight to ask you for one thing. I've already asked you for everything I'm going to ask you. Tonight, I've just come to say thank you. I've come to say thank you, God, for the day that you let conviction get a hold of my heart. Thank you, God, for the day I came down to an old-fashioned altar and repented of my sins. 
Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And thank you, God, for the day I got baptized in Jesus' name and got my sins washed away. I've just come to say thank you, God, for the day you gave me the Holy Ghost. Thank you for a revelation of who you are. Thank you for a good church and a good pastor. God, I thank you for helping me find a wonderful wife. I thank you for my wife. Thank you for my beautiful babies, God. I thank you. And he said he noticed while he was thanking God that the organ was playing softly. And the next thing he knew while he was praying, that saints were singing, but he kept on praying. And then he heard, he said, saints got to shouting. And he, they started shouting right close to him. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't. I can't explain it to you, but the next thing I knew, I was standing up shouting right alongside of him. And from that day to this, I haven't had another problem. What do you do when you got a problem? You keep on praising him. He said the next morning, the bookkeeping department from the hospital called him and he said, is this Reverend Rick George? He said, yes, it is. And you're a full-time evangelist? He said, that's right. He said, we owe you a, a serious apology. It's not the policy of this hospital to charge any full-time minister. And so whatever you have paid is going to be reimbursed and we're just going to wipe the slate clean. Your balance is zero. I'm talking about a God who knows how to come through for you. I'm telling you, you just got to keep on worshiping him. Number three, I'm going to keep on praying. We need to pray till something happens. Pray till deliverance comes. Pray till your soul gets on fire. Pray till you pray. Oh, Lord, some of us, all we want is a $2 tune-up, but what we need is a major overhaul. I say let's pray till something happens in our churches. Pray till God brings deliverance. Pray till folks get free in the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you how far we've got. I've preached, this is my 61st camp meeting. I've preached 313 conferences or church anniversaries. I've preached 891 revivals in my life for a series of services. I've seen folks pray is what I'm trying to tell you. One place I know and I've been to, and I don't tell you what state it was because California shouldn't be mentioned in this sermon. But can you imagine a woman going into travail in the service and the pastor not even understand that that's travail and get his cell phone and want to call 911 because we have a problem here. I'm saying intercessory prayer and travail should not be foreign words in this house. Thank God for praying men and women. I'll tell you the day. I've liked Brother homes for years we've known each other over 40 years but the day I truly fell in love with this man and I mean that in a good Christian way was when I saw him on his face laying down here at the altar crying and snotting and bawling and praying and shouting with everybody else with a prayer thank God for leadership and prayer thank God for preachers that pray for saints that pray I want to tell you, worship is everybody's business. Prayer is everybody's business. 
Am I making any sense to anybody here tonight? Oh, God, let me tell you. I wish my mama was here tonight. She's 87. God love her heart. Her health is wonderful. Her memory may not be as sharp as we'd like for it to be, but she still, she can still stand up and testify and set the place on fire. But I know what it's like to sit there at the, at the table eating my breakfast on a school day and me in high school even. And my mother, knowing that we'd been in revival, we got to bed late, we got up late, we got a bus to catch my sisters and myself. My mother said, I'm not going to let you out of this house till we get some family devotion. And so while we're eating, mother's pray, mother is reading from the Bible while we're sitting there putting them post toasties where they ought to be. And then when she had read her verses to us or whatever she read, she would close the Bible. Mama, we got two minutes before we got to get out the door. She said, I know, baby, but close your eyes. Right now, Mama's going to pray for you. And from behind, Mother would lay her hands on our head and say, God, protect our baby. I plead the blood of Jesus over our children as they go today. God, don't let... Don't let the devil have my babies. In Jesus' name, put a wall of protection. I'm here today because I had a mother that prayed for me. I'm here today because I had a daddy and mama that get on their knees when they went to bed and say, God, would you save Martin? I can't sleep with a deal like that. You got to get up out of bed and kneel down and pray too. I'm saying in our homes, let's have prayer in our homes. Have prayer in the church. And I'll just tell you, church, if we ever prayed, this generation needs to pray. Number, f- number, f- uh, what am I going to say? Number set four. Let's do number four. Stay involved. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 39. I'm going to take a scripture probably out of context and twist it, so just deal with it. It said, we're not of them that draw back unto perdition. I want to pick up on the word or the idiom, the figure of speech, draw back. It's a, it's a Greek idiom here, meaning basically in your mind, picture some sailboats crossing across the sea and one of them takes its sail down. And so it sits dead in the water while the rest are going forward. And I just want to tell you, you can get crossways in a church and you can cross your arms and the church is going forward, but you're sitting there dead in the water. And your little body language is just screaming to everybody else, I am not a happy camper. Sister computer lady, get me First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. You say, well, this is the chapter that talks about Hannah and it talks about Samuel. Mm-hmm. But what if I told you that may not be what the whole thing's about? First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. I sprung this one on her. I sure do like that thing weaving back and forth up there. I get a little motion sickness. We got some pills you can take for that if you need, or a prayer if you need them. But the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it said there was a certain man from Rumpelstiltskin or something <laughs> of Mount Ephraim and his name. Well, you give it a try. My God. And his name was Elkanah. It's, the, it's telling you there's a man named Elkanah. Do you know what the 
boy had to deal with? He loved Hannah. Oh, he had another wife. I can't imagine having two mother-in-laws. I was very fortunate, blessed with the first one, and it's going to be the only one. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Let me just tell you that a woman's value was determined by her ability to have children. And Hannah didn't have any. And so she was mocked by others who came to the temple. But Hannah brought her to church anyway. There was a preacher who could not even discern the difference between travail and uh, drunkenness. But he brought her to church anyway. The pastor would not even correct his own son's heathenistic lifestyles. He was too weak-kneed to deal with it. I don't know why this don't even go in this story. I just want to tell it. My father-in-law, Brother W.R. Starr, was district superintendent of Michigan for many years. And I think I was uh, secretary treasurer of the AMF. And he said, I got to go install a preacher. You want to go with me? I said, sure. So I drove. He said, this guy... He said, this guy here, he said, he don't believe fat meat's greasy. And he said, the church want to know about him, and I wouldn't recommend him because he don't believe the new birth and he don't believe holiness. He said, but the dude got to church, and now he had the nerve to call me up and want me to come and install him. I said, what in the world are you going to do? And he wouldn't answer. So I drove a couple hundred miles, and he's sitting there, and he wanted to be quiet. I just quiet. I'm sitting on the front row. He got up and he read the story of Eli. And then he got done and he said, I'm preaching tonight on, he's a nice guy, a real nice guy, just weak. Go, oh, dad, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And then he performed a marriage between the preacher and the saint. congregation, had them stand. He got the preacher and he said, do you promise to preach Acts 2.38? I do. Do you, pro- you promise to preach separation from the world? He's standing right there. I do. Do you, have to, do you promise to preach holiness or hell? I do. And he just went down the whole list until he felt good about it. thought, you know what? Thanks, Dad. That's good. That's just what I'm talking about. You got to make it up in your mind, ladies and gentlemen, that you're going to live for God regardless. Here is a man named Elkanah who brought his wife to the house of God and there was problems with the preacher there was problems with the church if you will and he just criticism from some of the people talking about his wife what did he do stay home no what did he do change churches no instead he did he take his son out of the church school did he remove him from the youth group no instead he gave his son to the work of God Process that in your head. What do you do when things aren't perfect? I'll just tell you, Jack, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as perfect people. you got to make it up in your mind. I'm going to live for God in my church. (laughs) 
don't you take your sail down. It's been my experience. If it's worth, may I have your attention? Sister Honey has made it to the house. Hey, girlfriend. I've seen her six times since April. We fix to leave this place and go to Branson. And don't be calling me. My phone's going to be off. You have to make it up in your mind. I refuse to be offended. And I'm not trying to tag on to what she was preaching about this morning. But let me just tell you that being offended is a choice that you make. When you get offended, well, here's Cain. He got offended and he killed his brother. When you get offended, you don't care what happens to your brother. You'll get out your little map quest and you'll print it off directions on where to go and how to get there. And here's the instructions. You'll send them to the torment. I promise you. Let me tell you, there are people that have come to church and they let their sacrifice become their downfall. I preached in a church here last month. And in that church was a man who backslid because he came, we'd get off work, he'd come by the church and he would work, nobody asked him. He'd just work, broken window, he'd fix it. Uh, there's a rip in the carpet. He either paid for it to be fixed or he'd fix it himself. He'd pick up papers. He'd work in the flower bed. What? Nobody ever asked him to do a thing. He did it for years. Just come by and he enjoyed working on the church. And then one summer, he didn't even take a vacation. He took all his money and he brought, bought shingles to put on the roof. And he roofed the church all by himself. Nobody paid him. Nobody asked him. He just did it. Then there came an opening for Usher or something and his name didn't come up. And he got highly offended that his name wouldn't come up. And he said, well, if that's all the more I'm appreciated around here, all the work I do around here, nobody appreciates it. Well, I guess I'll just leave here and go someplace else. And what he did, he went to the bars where he went. He let his sacrifice become his downfall. Another lady in the same church bought 20 tables and 160, I believe, folding chairs for the church fellowship hall. And she went on vacation and come back and didn't like where they were stacked and how they were stacked. And so she backslid. Let me just tell you, whatever you do, you do it for God. It's not yours anymore. Take your hand off of it. It belongs to God. When a Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus, she said, good master, my daughter's grievously vexed to the devil. Help, help me. The Lord looked at her and he said, it's not proper. It's not meat. It's not acceptable to give the children's portion to dogs. You think there was a little nick action going on there and you think she got bent out of shape? Not on your life. She said, of a truth, Lord. She refused to be offended. She said, of a truth, Lord. But even, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And I want you to know that you're robbing yourself, your family. When you get offended, not only does that affect you, but it affects your children as well. And because she did not get offended, she was able to get up and go home that day with deliverance. Oh, I'm going to mess with your head. I don't know why. 
When David wanted to honor anybody, anybody related to King Saul or to Jonathan, rather, they brought him a Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth stood in front of him, his legs all misshapen. He could not stand up properly. His legs did not heal right after he was dropped and his limbs shattered. What did not happen was that Mephibosheth did not say, Your Majesty, you know why I'm like this? She did it to me. He didn't point fingers at somebody who had done something to him, but rather he bowed himself down heavily. He puts his head on the ground and says, I am but as a dead dog in thy sight. That is as humble as a Jew can make himself. Let me point out to you that if you have your head on the ground and you're humbling yourself, it's hard to point your finger at who's hurting you. And if you would keep Quit keeping track of who hurt you and who said this and who did that. And instead, humble yourself before God. When you get up from there, you're going to be invited to sit at the king's table. Don't rob yourself from the privilege of sitting at the king's table. Being offended is a choice that you make. You know, you got to make up your mind what you're going to do when things happen. What do you do when a gossiper calls? What do you do when you're faced with false doctrine? What do you do when you hear about emergent church? What do you do when you hear, see compromise on every hand? Somebody needs to make it up in their mind ahead of time. I'm still going to stay in church. I'm still going to keep on living for God. Can I get a witness from somebody? You know, Matthew six fourteen says it like this in verse 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How long are you going to let a war go on? I had a church, well, let's just put it this way. In one year, 120 people walked out of our church. Probably don't seem like a lot to y'all, but it, we happen to notice it. I walked into a large auditorium in the area sitting on the platform, and I was the surprise speaker. Nobody knew. Well, the pastor knew, but it was a, it was a big meeting. Sitting on the platform, I counted 23 former families from the church that I pastored, sitting there. And I'm thinking, <laughs> they don't even know I'm the preacher tonight. And it was like the Holy Ghost said, Ballastera, if you get out of line tonight, I'm going to lift my anointing and you're going to do this by yourself. And I sat on the platform and I started crying. And the thought crossed my mind, how long do you let a war go on? 
And then this thought crossed my mind, whose kingdom are you trying to build, yours or mine? And then I was reduced to a basket case and I'm weeping. I turned over to the Old Testament where it said he's altogether lovely. He's the fairest of the fair. And I'd never preached on that before, but I did that night. And while I was preaching, I started crying. And the church started to weep. Six people received the Holy Ghost sitting in their seats. Oh, there was a couple over there was laughing and mocking me while I'm preaching. But I just tuned them out and started preaching to those who wanted to be fed and those who wanted to talk about Jesus. I just want to ask you, how long do you let a war go on? I could have you turn to the book of Matthew chapter 18, and there's a story there about a man who, was, who owed, according to your Bible, 10,000 talents of silver. In my old Thompson chain Bible, the little table in the back, it said it was the equivalent of 262 million with an M, $800,000. Over a quarter of a billion dollars back in the 60s, I don't know what it would be worth today. And he was called before the king and could not pay. And he was frankly and freely forgiven. And he walks out and finds a man that owes him 100 pence, or according to that same little table, 15 bucks. He grabs him by the throat and said, pay me with thy owes. He said, man, I can't. I don't even have $15. He throws him in jail. And when the king finds out about it, this is not maybe not the way you want to hear it, but he took back his forgiveness and turned him over to the tormentors. You, this is a story of God forgiving you of a debt you could not pay. Your sin, if you will. And the problem you have with your brother is in his eyes a $15 problem. Why in the world would you go to hell for 15 bucks? You say, Brother Ballester, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You need to get over it. Your spirit's going to send you to where you don't want to go. I'm telling you, it's not worth going to hell over. Forgive him in Jesus' name and get up and go on. If you want him to forgive you, then you have to forgive. And that dirty devil, oh Jesus, that dirty devil who mistreated you when you were young, Penitentiary is too good for him. I'm wanting to say the electric chair is too good for him. And you would say it too if you'd had one of your children mistreated. You would know how I feel. I'll just tell you this much. If you want the, when you forgive them, it doesn't save them. It just releases you to receive the mercies and the forgiveness of God in your life. And I want to tell you, we're too close. Oh, I don't know why I keep going here, but we're too close to the coming of the Lord to be carrying mess down in our hearts. I've seen folks that can shout and do the huckabuck and act like they're the most spiritual one in the house. And yet they got bitterness and they got stuff down in here. They stay home from church. They won't live right. They talk against the pastor. All right. I want you to make it up in your mind that regardless of what happens, you're going to stay in church. This generation will face false doctrine, but I'm going to stay in church. It's going to face worldliness, but I'm going to stay in church. 
uh, I see I see one of my former neighbors here by the Cold Grove. We had a neighbor pastor acquaintance that decided that he wanted to uh, fall into enlightenment. And so they removed some of the strictness of their dress code, which wasn't very strict to start with. And so now it was okay for ladies to wear slacks to church and make up and cut their hair. And my, there was a young man, 17 years old, who said to his mother, when he saw his mother dressed like that, said, Mama, this is not how we were raised. I, I can't go back. And that's how he wound up at my church and in the process stole my daughter from me. But what happened, and this is what they tell me, they said, when my daughter got married in that church, they, had the, the, they took the pulpit out. And my son, Anthony, said, well, what happened to your pulpit? They came over to, you know, decorate for the wedding. They said, oh, this was in the month of October. They said, oh, back in April, we had a move of God come through here. And we took the pulpit out, and we've had a move of God ever since. I'll just tell you, when you were shouting tonight, did it dawn on you? You know, if we would take the pulpit out, this would be a whole lot better. Now, the last time I was here, they had a great big pulpit here. And these folks here are on their way out. I can see it. They got a little old thing here now. I'm worried about you, Reverend. I'll just tell you. But they blew my mind when they said that on Sunday morning, they had girls 18 to 21 in short shorts and halter tops taking the offering. Folks, they don't do that in the Presbyterian church. They don't do that in the Baptist or the Methodist. What is wrong with people? You know what? This represents the word of God. This represents authority. This represents submission. And you get a spirit on you that doesn't want to submit to the word of God. You pack your little pink suitcase and you'll go on down the road somewhere. But thank God for saints who still love the old time. Preach and pray and sing and shout. Put your hands together and praise the Lord. I want to tell these young people, you need to have a contingency plan. You need to tell yourself, I will possess my vessel in sanctification and in honor. We're living in a day where there's a lot of peer pressure for young men and young women to be immoral. And you would be surprised how many Pentecostal kids shame themselves, their pastor, their parents, the church, ruin their lives, their reputation, all because somebody sweet-talked them. Let, let me just tell you, there will be no honor in your life without sanctification. You need to learn how to protect yourself and possess your vessel in sanctification. Honor is what the book says, and I can make it a whole lot plainer. Thank God for young people who wish to remain pure in this day and age in which we live. Mom and dad, if you got a young man, you got a young lady who's keeping themselves pure and their lives clean. They're coming to church. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're living for God. You ought to cut them a little slack once in a while. These kids are doing their best to be saved. Thank God for good kids who don't want to go to hell, who don't want what the world has. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
you know, you need to have a contingency plan in your mind when you even go shopping. You put on a skirt, and the slit comes way up to you. Ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> there ought to be some little alarm goes off in your head that says, if I can't sew this up, or if I'm not going to sew it up, I ought not to be having it on to start with. My daddy would call this message a shotgun message. Brother King didn't leave me a whole lot to preach this morning, but he left me enough. I want to tell you, and I'm going to get ready to close here. I've preached long enough. I'm hungry, and I'm ready to do some kissing. If you're in the house tonight and you don't have the Holy Ghost, what's your plan for eternity? Brother Jeremy Shields put me in a nice hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. He had to fly out earlier than my flight was. And uh, I took the Holiday Inn shuttle to the Nashville airport. And I was the only man on the bus. Pulled in front of the door, and as the guy turned around to open the door, he said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, I just had two pilots on this bus this morning that told me that Obama was the Antichrist. He said, is he? I said, well, I didn't vote for him. But he's not the Antichrist. I said, but there is going to be a real Antichrist. And I don't know much about world situation. I only know about the Bible. And from the way I see it, the economy is going to get worse. There's going to be problems so bad that the world is going to cry and beg and scream for somebody to fix their problem. And a man is going to step on the scene. I said, he's already being groomed for it. He's going to step on the scene. He's going to have the answer, and they're going to treat him as a god. He said, then what is my defense? What's my hope? What am I going to do? I said, there's only one way to escape that. And that is you have to obey Acts 2.38. And for 15 minutes, I taught him a home Bible study on the bus. He had to ignore the radio calls. I went through repentance of your sins. You've got to repent of your sins. How do you get the Holy Ghost? The first step is to repent of your sins. Tell God you're sorry for everything you've ever done and mean it with all your heart. That bus driver sat there with tears running down his cheeks. Then I said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. That is the only way. He said, well, I'm from Africa. I've never heard of this before. I showed him in the Bible. This is what the Bible says. This is how you get your sins washed away when you get baptized in Jesus' name. I said, don't die till you get this experience. Don't die till you get this. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name. He said, then what do I do? I said, then God promised you the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, what's that? I said, when you get it, it's Christ in you. 
When he comes in you, you will speak in a language you have never spoken in before. You will receive the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, just like they did on the day of Pentecost. When Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, he said, repent and be baptized. Stand with me, please. Every one of you. That means all y'all in the name of Jesus Christ for the removal, the taking away of your sins and ye shall. Somebody say shall. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. On my phones I carry a palm. I also have an iPhone. But I got list directories of several different fellowships and I was able to hook him up with a pastor and a church you're looking at a guy I average about four home bible studies a month on the plane it's dangerous to sit by me I'm going to talk to you about Jesus name baptism Holy Ghost talking in tongues I will tell you This is our only hope for tomorrow. The last time I ever saw my daddy worship in church, he died with Alzheimer's. But they were singing the song, Many Things About Tomorrow. I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. I want to tell you, I want to make some room for folks to come down the altar here. If you could... Help us with these chairs. Ushers may remove some of them if you would, please. We need room for folks to pray. We're going to have pray, and you're going to get the Holy Ghost tonight. My faith is that there's going to be folks come down here that says, God, I'm tired of my sins. I want you to forgive me. I'm tired of living like I've been living. I want my sins taken away. I want them washed away. I want to be filled with your spirit. Hallelujah, while we have a song, while the musicians are gathering in, I want everybody in this house to understand that there is hope for you. You can be saved. You can have the Holy Ghost. It's for you tonight. You don't have to leave here without the Holy Ghost. You can have it if you want it bad enough. You can have it if you repent of your sins. You can have the Holy Ghost. If you're willing to say goodbye to the world, you can have the Holy Ghost. If you're willing to yield to Him. While we have a song, I want to invite all this congregation that can, everyone that wants the Holy Ghost, make your way down to the front right now. We've got people that will pray with you. If you have a heart that's hungry for God, you're going to find hope and help and deliverance in this house tonight. Your prayer is going to be answered. It's your only hope for tomorrow. The Holy Ghost is your contingency plan for eternity. Make room for folks as they're gathering in here tonight. Come on, while we have a song, lift up your voice unto the Lord. Sing unto Him. Hallelujah. Let Him fill you with the Holy Ghost tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's all start gathering in. Bring somebody with you that does not have the Holy Ghost here tonight. Say that yes to Him. Everybody here believes in prayer. Don't leave here without talking to Jesus. Lift up your voice to him tonight. Thank you, Jesus.
peace between the powers of darkness and light. But through our worship, we will be victorious. His work is promised that we will not fight. So put your foot, put your foot on the head of the devil. Let your head lift the triumphant shout. Greater is he. Yes. His word has promised that we will abide.